Um, as Maddie mentioned, we are starting a new series. We just wrapped up a series uh, called What If, where we answered a lot of questions that maybe you've asked in your life. And today we're starting a new series. But I want to ask you, do you ever feel like things are always going wrong? Some of you are like, absolutely. And it sort of depends on your outlook. But whether, whether you're sort of an optimist or a pessimist, you probably felt like, at least in 2020, can we all agree that it was a dumpster fire, right? I mean, it was... It was like the year that it seemed like it couldn't get any worse, but it's like, but wait, there's more. Just like that infomercial, you know, it's like you think it's going to get a little bit better. It's got to be getting better, but then it's another year. And then 2021 started out a little bit crazy. Hopefully it's going to settle down a little bit. But I want to share with you, in case you get a little down, in case you get a little discouraged, and you feel like maybe it's only your life that has a lot of downs and not as many ups, I want to share with you a few pictures of people that um, have had some bad days too. So we're going to let the camera get over here on the screen. I don't know if you can tell what you're looking at here. A young lady went out and enjoyed the sunshine with a bowl of cereal and a spoon and fell asleep. And that's what happened. So that's a, that's a bad day. Uh, on a related note, I had a buddy in college who, when a nice spring day came, he wanted to go out and study in the sunshine. And he, he, uh, he got up on, this, on the top of the building, and he took his shirt off, get a little bit of sun. He was reading his book, and he fell asleep. And he fell asleep with his hand like this, and he got scorched. and had this big handprint right on his, on his stomach. So same thing. All right, let's look at the next one. This is a Ford Fiesta flame, and the F fell off, so it's just lame. And so... You know. All right, let's look at the next one. That's a bad birthday right there. That's a bad birthday. All right. <laughs> okay, let's look at the next one. I don't know if you can tell what that is. They open their door, and that's snow. That's the imprint of their door in the snow. Their, their house was literally covered. The doorway was covered by snow. So that's, uh, that's fun. That's a good morning. Cabinets fell off. I don't know if it was an earthquake or just they fell off the wall, but regardless, that's a bad morning, the way to start your morning. Yeah. They didn't put the uh, drain plugs in, I guess, in the, in the back, and that, that's bad. That's a nice-looking boat, and now it's a submarine, so that's pretty cool. The copier toner exploded, and the ink went everywhere. That's, that's pretty nice. I don't know if you can tell. This is uh, uh, it, probably in basic training and uh, something. And, I mean, the, the drill instructor is right there, and the sprinkler goes off, hits that dude in the face, and he knows he can't move. He's just got to take it like a man or a woman, you know. I mean, he's like, I got to take it. And that sprinkler is just right in his face. I think that's the last one. But that's the thing is that you might think that uh, – your life is difficult, or you might think you're having a bad day, chances are there's probably somebody who's having another bad day just as bad, and they can relate to what you're going through, or maybe they're going through a little bit worse. And I want to study, beginning today, and we're going to spend a couple weeks looking at the life of a guy in Scripture who... In some ways, his life started out being really good. He was his father's favorite. His dad probably showed a little too much favoritism towards him. But really quickly, things kind of went downhill. And then it would seem like, oh, things are making an upward swing. And then another thing would happen. And he'd go down, down deep. And this man found himself wrongly accused different times for different things. And his name is Joseph. And what we're calling this series is Joseph, Life of a God Chaser. Because through it all, even though he may not have done everything perfectly, because guess what? Nobody's perfect, right? He may not have done everything perfectly. 
His desire, you can see, woven in through his life, is to be a God chaser. Somebody who chases after God and wants to be more like God every day. And in Genesis 37, Joseph, we see, is sold into slavery by his brothers. I mean, can you imagine? Sold into slavery by his brothers. His father uh, is, is Jacob, and he shows a little bit of favoritism to him, and he gives him this fancy coat that's described as maybe the coat of many colors. You may have heard that story before. And Joseph, I will say this, I don't think it was necessarily wrong, just sometimes I don't believe he had a real filter on his mouth. Everything that came into his brain, if it was a dream that he had, and it was the truth he was telling, but I, maybe he could have chosen a better time, you know, to tell some of the things he told. But you see some issues like that with Joseph. Maybe, maybe there was some pride, because we know he's not perfect, so you know there's something going on, so maybe he had a little bit of pride, maybe he's a little bit arrogant. Or like I said, maybe simply he didn't have a filter like he should have had and known when to say things and when not to say things. But the trials that he faced are almost unbelievable. They're almost unbelievable, the things that this guy, guy goes through in just a few short chapters of the book of Genesis. He sold into slavery after his brothers graciously decided not to kill him. You know, they were going to kill him, and one brother spoke up and was like, no, we can't do this, this is horrible, we cannot kill our own brother. It would destroy our father, and it's just wrong. And so they decide, after a long day of planning and plotting, you know, they're going to do something different. And you think about it, your brothers decide to, first they want to kill you, then they want to just decide, oh, we'll sell you into slavery. That's lifetime movie, next level crazy stuff, right? I mean, this is crazy stuff. So after a long day... Of plotting to kill him, they decide they need to take a lunch break. Isn't that kind of weird? You know, it says they go in, they, they say, well, let's eat lunch. Let's think about this for a second. So they throw him in a hole, throw him in a pit, and then they realize if we kill him, it wasn't so much based on what their brother said or maybe because they had a change of heart. They were like, if we kill him, we don't get any money for it. But if we sell him into slavery, we can get paid a little bit. So they decide to, uh, to sell him into slavery. And these travelers, these traders come by and they buy him and take him on. And then those people sell him to Egyptians. Now, after being in Egypt and rising to a place of respect in the Egyptian master's home where he was sold, he gets wrongfully accused of, to put it in more modern terms, he gets wrongfully accused of sexual assault. And he's thrown in prison. And then it doesn't get, we're going to go into that story a whole lot, maybe. I'm not just skimming over that. That's going to be another week. But then if it doesn't get bad enough, he's thrown in prison and he already gets to do a little bit of, of work to kind of ease his time there. But while he's in prison, he takes two, care of two of Pharaoh's upper servants. Uh, the cupbearer, which is the guy like, you know, you see in old movies where like they would literally um, bring and they'd taste the, the drink they were given to the king to make sure it wasn't poison. And he was the one who protected that cup and made sure nobody got the best of the king and tried to take him out. And then a, a baker for the king also had gotten a, uh, the Pharaoh mad at him. And so they're thrown in prison with him. And so while he's in there with them, God had given Joseph the ability to interpret dreams. These two guys have dreams, and he's able to interpret it for them. He's able to tell them what the dream means. It, it really meant something. And he gives to the cupbearer a favorable interpretation. See, the cupbearer, he told him, was going to be restored to his position, and everything was going to be okay in just three days. And, and true enough, it came to be. But when it was time to give the, the baker his interpretation, you can imagine, you know, sitting in there, they're thrown in prison at the same time, 
the, the baker's sitting there listening to the interpretation of the cupbearer's dream, and his is sort of similar, just kind of fit his line of work a little bit more. And, you know, he's sitting there thinking, he's like, oh, this sounds good. He's set free, so most likely that means I'm going to be set free. I had some three things in there, and he had three days, and he's going to be set free. So he gets there, and he's like, oh, sorry to let you know, you're going to be killed. And so, sure enough, he's killed. And the bad thing is, is when he gave the interpretation, I'm trying to give you all a real quick overview here, so y'all stick with me. He gave him the basic interpretation of the dream. He said, just remember me when you come back into the good graces of the king, the Pharaoh. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. So he goes, he's set free, he's restored to his place, the cupbearer is, but guess what? He forgot. In just a short few days, he forgets this guy that gave him this great news. Isn't that like life sometimes? You do something really nice for somebody, and then when it comes time that they can help you out, what do they do sometimes? They forget. Sometimes they don't forget and they just stab you in the back. They sell you out at work. Even family and friends sometimes can do that. People who are supposed to look out for you and care for you, they turn their back on you. They forget you. They don't help you out when, they, when you so graciously help them out. They've got the chance to help, but they don't do it. And if you're like most of us, you find yourself wondering, is it really worth doing the right thing I don't know if anybody else is willing to admit they thought that but I thought that there's been a lot of times I'm like they don't appreciate anything I do you know the more I help the more they're going to take advantage and if you feel alone in that just know you're not alone because if anybody can understand it Jesus could right out of Jesus' three closest friends, one literally sold him for 30 pieces of silver, betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, and probably one of his best friends, his other best friend, you know, he just acted like he didn't know him. He denied him, you know? And so any, if anybody can understand, Jesus can, but there's so many people in this world who can understand what it's like to do something good for somebody and then have them forget you, stab you in the back, betray you, and not do what they promised they were going to do. And that's why I like Joseph's example. That's why I want to spend a few weeks looking at his example. Because I believe you can sum up his life like this. Doing right when it's not going right. And that's what you and I need to understand and wrap our minds around. I'm going to do what's right even when life is not going right. I'm going to do right when it's not going right. Because that, my friends, is the definition of integrity, really, in a lot of ways. You know, integrity has been described as who you are when no one's looking, but another facet of integrity could be just that. Doing the right thing even when it's difficult. Even when it seems like I might get thrown under the bus and then the bus is going to be backed up over me two or three times, you know. I'm still going to do what's right because I know and I trust God. So when you look at Joseph, the God chaser, you see him choose to follow when it doesn't seem to pay off. And it's not just one time, it's not just one time that he chooses to do the right thing and it doesn't pay off instantly. It happens over and over and over again, but he still stays faithful. You know, it doesn't seem to be like it, it doesn't seem like it pays off right away, at least not instantly. And we love instant gratification, don't we? Man, we love instant gratification. We love to, as soon as we do something, we want it to happen. 
You know, you stand there. Um, how many of you have ever found yourself getting frustrated as you stand and wait for 90 seconds for your food to cook in a microwave? <laughs> you know, man, I mean, it's like, come on, come on. You know, and back in the day, you out there chopping wood and, you know, building a fire and, and you know, going to go catch some food, you know. I mean, you had to do it all. Now we just go, doo, 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 boop, beep, and we're like, come on, come on. You know, I love those memes. I love memes, and I can talk about memes all day. It's, I don't know why, but I do. But y'all ever seen the meme where, like, they show you, like, what my food sees when I, it's in a microwave? You know, it's got, like, eyes. Like, <laughs> I just think about that. But, I mean, we're just so impatient. We're so impatient. And for those of y'all never seen that meme, y'all are like, that, what in the world are you talking about? But anyway, but we get so impatient. I, we ha- I had an experience last year uh, before the pandemic hit. You know, I flew over the ocean for the first time, longest flight I'd ever been on. And, you know, there were times that I got frustrated, you know, for flying seven hours from North Carolina to Ireland. But I started thinking, I'm like, and I was frustrated. I'm literally flying through the air in seven hours across the ocean, you know, when like people didn't know before if you got on a plane and flew across the ocean if you were ever going to be seen again, you know, and we're doing it seven hours. And I looked up, in the early 1800s, it took 20 days to even a month to sail across the ocean. You're talking about being spoiled? We are spoiled. We stand impatiently looking and thinking, okay, we get frustrated by Netflix beaming a movie into our house. All right, I'm going to tell y'all something. Some of y'all can understand this, but for some of y'all, this is going to be mind-blowing, all right? Kids, younger people, this is going to blow your mind. I remember going to a video store that was not Blockbuster. Blockbuster wasn't around, at least in my, my neighborhood. I went to a video store where we rented a VCR to watch our rented VHS movie on. Y'all, that, shut up about Netflix. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm, I complain more than anybody probably about, you know, when it buffers. I'm like, ah! But, I mean, you think about it, where we've come, you know, in just 100 years since I was 10. No, I'm kidding. I'm not that old. But in just a few years, just think about how far we've come, and we want instant gratification. And the truth is, in a fallen world, doing good doesn't always pay off instantly. But Joseph was different. He did right when it wasn't going right. And that's what you and I need to adapt and adopt in our lives. We can learn from his example. One of the first things we see in his example is this. He told the truth. He told the truth. And that may seem simple, but if if we've been in a tight spot, we know how much of a wrestling there is to decide whether we're going to tell the truth or not. Especially in things that we feel like maybe aren't that big and aren't that huge. We can like, well, I can just tell, you know, a little simple lie, a little small lie. But that's not what we're called to do. He told the truth even when it was painful. You can look back in his early life and when God gave him a dream that showed him what his future was going to be like, he went and he told his brothers, even though maybe he should have just kept quiet. They might not have been thrown in the pit. But we know God had a plan, right? But he still told the truth at all times. Most of the times, I bet if you kind of think back about your life, most of the lies that you've told, they're probably not out of hatred, are they? You're not normally telling a lie because you hate somebody and you're just trying to lie on. I mean, sometimes you do. Sometimes you've been lied on about, you know, because somebody hates you. But most of the time, our lies are not out of hatred. A lot of times, they're simply out of convenience, right? 
We tell lies to get, our, get the heat off of ourselves a little bit. You know, we just tell a little simple lie, you know, just so we get out of trouble. And that's where it comes from, out of convenience. We don't want to hurt people's feelings, maybe, and so I'll tell a lie now. Um, or we don't want to make things uncomfortable, so I'll tell a, another little lie. So we lie, which leads to what? Another lie, which leads to another lie. But Joseph, he set a good example. He told the truth even when he knew that it was going to get him in trouble. He told the baker the truth just as he told the cupbearer, even though for one it was good news and the other it was bad news. You know, he could have tried to pull the old magic eight ball trick and be like, oh, answer unclear, <laughs> you know, instead. But he told him the truth. He said, you're going to lose your life. And then later on, as we see in, in the, the stories here, he told Pharaoh about the seven um, famine years, not simply the seven fruitful years when, when Pharaoh had a dream. And he interpreted that dream. He didn't just tell him about the good news. He told him about the difficult news. In Proverbs 27, verse 6, is a verse uh, I'd like for you to think about. You may have heard it. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. As believers, especially, we've got to set the example in a culture that really is attacked truth. And be truthful even when it's difficult. And like the scripture says there, that it's better for a friend to tell somebody the truth that's going to be uncomfortable and a truth that might be painful than an enemy who's just going to lie to you and kiss you on the cheek. Doesn't that kind of fit in something you hear about in scripture a little bit later on? Isn't that amazing that a, a couple thousand years maybe before Jesus was betrayed with a kiss, this is what was written in Proverbs? You know, tell the truth even when it's difficult. And this is something that's hard for me to understand, but I've become to understand it a little bit more as I've become a parent, is this, is that when we love people, it doesn't just mean we tell them nice things only. It means we tell them the truth even when it's painful. And, and I use this example because if you're a parent or you've been around kids, you can understand it. All of my kids, to a child, when they were about two or three years old and starting to really get mobile and starting to get really fast, they all want to end up playing in the street or right beside the street. And what do we do? We tell them, no, you can't do that. We go, we grab their hand, and we yank them back as quickly as we can to save them because we know the cars are coming. And what do they do? <laughs> or something like that. Something like that. I'm going to get Luke to, he can show me. He's, he's fresher to it. But... They get so angry, and they're so angry at you. Why? But you simply did what? You told them the truth. You said, if you play in the street or near the street, you can get hurt. But you're a parent, and you love them, or you're a, a caregiver, and you love them, and so you tell them the truth, and that's what we need to do. Sometimes we stop doing that when people get up to be about this high. And we think, well, I'm just going to lie to people. Once they become adults because it's uncomfortable. But we have to tell the truth because wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes in verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We are connected and we have to tell the truth to one another. So tell the truth. Practice integrity. Be the same person when everybody's looking and when nobody's looking. Be authentic and real. That's something we talk about here at our church is that we want to be real and authentic. And that's become kind of a, a buzzword, a catchphrase, but we want to be real and true about it. We don't want to stand here and make people think, man, I've got it all together and I've got all the answers. 
Because we all know that that will come to light sooner than later if you try to make yourself something that you are not. The truth will find you out. And it'll set you free, but not maybe when you're ready. So the better thing to do is to be truthful about it and be honest and heal and recover and be truthful about what's going on in your life. And here's why it's really important. So if you zoned out for a second, tune back in. Because if people can't believe you, they won't believe the gospel from you. If people can't believe you, they won't believe the gospel from you. And they'll be inclined to believe that the gospel is a lie. Because it sounds far-fetched that a God could love you so much that he sent his son to die for you and, and pay for your sin on the cross. And so if you are continually being a dishonest person, they're not going to believe you. And so therefore, they won't believe the truth of the gospel from you. Even though, like we talked about last week, that the truth from a hypocrite is still the truth. We need to understand we need to do our part to do as much as we can to make the truth believable when it comes from us. It's been said, and I don't know who said this quote, so I can't give them credit. But the truth doesn't cost anything, but a lie can cost you everything. The truth doesn't cost you anything to tell, but a lie can cost you everything. So tell the truth at all times as much as you can. So you learn that from Joseph. You also learn that he trusted the timing of God. He trusted the timing of God. And if there's ever a life that shows it as much as Joseph's, man, I, I don't know too many that show it as much as that, is that it looked like God was being unfaithful to him, but when you look at the whole sum of his life, you see the times that God was using him and preparing him and getting him ready and putting him in a position to bring the most glory to God and even give him good things. It's not that God is just, oh, only give me glory. He pours out the blessings to you and I as well. He allows us to go through difficult times because this world is broken. It's full of sin, and there are going to be consequences for our actions. But he's always there, and trust the timing of God just like Joseph did. You understand when Joseph told those two guys the interpretations of their dreams, and he said, oh, I'll remember you, and he forgot he stayed, it says in the scripture, he stayed in prison two more years. Two years before the cupbearer remembered Joseph. Two years. When all it would have taken was one time just saying, oh, Pharaoh, let this guy out. And he'd have been free. He stayed two more years until the cupbearer was good on his promise and, and told him a, a good word for the, in front of the king. It's really easy. It's really easy to get angry with God when his timeline doesn't match yours, isn't it? I see a lot of heads nodding, I'm glad. Sometimes when I stand up here and I tell the truth about what goes on in my heart, y'all judge me, I can tell. Y'all like, mm -hmm, liars. <laughs> we all struggle with trusting God in the slow times and in the difficult times and in the quiet times. There's a song that I love called The Silence of God, and it talks about basically how the silence of God is deafening when you don't hear what God is answering. Even though he's working, he's answering, we don't hear it. It's hard to sit there in that silence. But you have to understand that it's easy to get angry with God when his timeline doesn't match ours, but God's wisdom and his plan are greater than anything we can fathom. His wisdom, his plan is greater than anything that we can fathom. And what may seem like a long time to you and me is the blink of an eye to an eternal God. 
And so he's working his plan, even in the even in the sins that are done against you, he can take those and he can use those to bring about his glory and he can rebuild the hurt and the pain in your life. And it may take time to accomplish what God is accomplishing in you and through you. So be patient. Trust in his timing. Because he's going to deliver you, but you have to remember the truth that it's not just about you. And so sometimes... He may be able to, to help you and to save you and, and fix your situation, but maybe you're going through it a little bit longer because of the other person you're going to help down the road. And we all know, we talk about this from time to time, is that when we, are, when we snatch people out of trouble instantly, they usually aren't very grateful for it. And they don't learn their lesson. And so we see that with parents to children. And we saw that when we are a kid from our parents. But we need to understand that's true for all of us in our relationship with God. He wants us to learn, I've got you. It's not your strength. It's not your luck. It's not your circumstances. I've got you in this. And I will deliver you at just the right time when you are ready to truly be delivered. We see in a real clear way. In a few weeks, we're going to look a little deeper into some of Joseph's life, how God will use your trials to bring others closer to him as well. We're going to see a great example of that. But 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants people to be saved. And so sometimes his slowness, now this is sort of in context about the second coming, but that's the same thing. How many times have you just said, Lord Jesus, come? And you wonder why he's not coming. And maybe you're not talking about the second coming in every circumstance, but you've prayed, God, help me out, do something here. But he's not slow in keeping his promise as we count slowness, but he is hoping and working and moving so that as many people as possible can be saved and come to repentance. And that is God's plan to use us. So trust the timing of God in your life. Here's the third thing that we can learn from Joseph. He thanked God for it all. So he told the truth, he trusted the timing of God, and he thanked God for it all. The good and the bad. The good and the bad, he thanked God for it. He gave God the glory even though the path wasn't smooth. You know, even though the path wasn't smooth, he thanked God for it. Because one of the things I've learned is that walking on a smooth trail is one thing and the more distance you go you know the, the harder it gets and then the easier it gets but uh where, where I grew up and where I've spent a lot of my life is mostly in eastern North Carolina it's really flat and several years ago I did a lot of running and I, I was preparing for long races and it was one thing I you know at first it's hard your lungs are burning you don't, your legs feel like they're gonna fall off but you're running but then you go somewhere where there's hills that's a whole nother ball game right you feel like you haven't even been running, even though you might be running miles and miles and miles. But you start running up hills, and you're like, oh, Lord Jesus, come. <laughs> you know, like, take me, you know. And so it's tough, but that builds up more strength in you. And so if the path isn't smooth, you get stronger. And so he thanked God for it all, even when the path wasn't smooth. 
When the cupbearer remembered Joseph after Pharaoh had dreams no one could interpret, this is how he answered the praise that Pharaoh gave to him, to Joseph. He said in Genesis 41, beginning in verse 14. It says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him up out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now let's pause right there. If Joseph was like me, he probably would have answered something like, yeah, I'm the man. <laughs> you know, He would have been like, yeah, I can answer it. Because I'm going to try to do all I can to make sure I never go back to where? That pit. And so he could have said, yep, it's, it's me. I've just got this gift. It's, it's just this thing I do. I can answer any dream. I can pick lottery numbers for you, Pharaoh. You know, I can do whatever. I can do all these things. I would have been selling myself as much as possible to get in the good graces of the Pharaoh. But what did Joseph say? What did Joseph say? Look here at verse 16. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. He put all the glory and all the honor on God, and he was just a vessel. And when you and I can learn to do that in the good times and the bad times and give the glory all to God, that's when we'll really start to understand just what God can do through somebody like you and me. How he can change your life and change the lives of other people. That's what he's trying to do. And then later on, when God gave him children there in Egypt, after making him second in charge of all of the land of Egypt, just under Pharaoh himself. You understand, this guy went from prison, from being thrown in a pit by his brothers, to almost being killed by them, to being sold, and then being thrown in prison, accused wrongly, spending time in prison, being forgotten by somebody that could have set him free, waiting two more years later, then, finally then, he is elevated to the place of second command of a nation that is not his own. He is not one of these people. And he's put in second command, God gave him children, and here's what he said in verse 51. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. Even then, he's, he's praising God. In verse 52, it says, The name of the second son, he called him Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. You see, easily, now when you just read it, it's easy to just kind of gloss over that. But couldn't he have said, you know, God, now I've got two kids to worry about on top of all the other stuff? I mean, at any moment, because when bad things happen, when bad things happen, it's easy to believe that they're what? Always going to happen. And you can get calloused and you can get hard and you can miss out on relationships because you think that person hurt me. So guess what? This person's going to hurt me. And you can feel like even when you get blessings piled up on your life, you can almost think of them as a curse because you just keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. You keep waiting for the bottom to open out from underneath you and swallow you whole and put you back in the pit just like you were. And so don't, don't sit there and say that we automatically would have responded just like Joseph. The challenge is to respond like Joseph and not have the idea, oh, now I've got two mouths to feed when all of it could go bad. I'm in this foreign land. This is not my home. And now I've got two more children to have to worry about that's not what he said he gave thanks to God for every blessing knowing that God had brought him all along the way he gave thanks for all the good and the bad 
that led him to where he was at that moment. And if you realize it and you're being honest, you know that's what it takes. It takes the good and the bad to get you to where you are. And James, beginning in, in chapter 1, verse 2, says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How many of you would love, if you're being really honest, to take that verse and just rip it right out of the Bible? Oh, see, y'all going to leave me hanging out to dry now. I knew. You, say, you think I'm being blasphemous. I don't want to count my troubles and my trials as joy. I'd rather not have them, if I'm being honest. I don't want to struggle. I don't want it to be difficult. But God is saying through James, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds because it's making you stronger in your faith for what's coming ahead to help other people go along the journey, to help you survive and finish strong the journey that God has laid out for you. You'll be made full and complete, lacking in nothing. When you learn to see the blessing in the trial and thank God for all of it, you start to see the power of God in everything. Your blessings become richer when you can learn to thank God even in the trials and in the struggles. And I'm not trying to sit here and tell you I've got it all figured out. I need you to come alongside me. And some of you are farther along than I am in this. But we need each other. That's why we are called a family. Because we need to help each other get to this point. And even when things are bad, we learn that God can take ashes and make them into beauty. He can literally take ashes, it says, and turn them into beauty. So the key to a life surrendered to Jesus is this. Doing right when it's not going right. And with all the chaos in our world right now, church, I hope and pray that we can understand that our world needs to see the example in us and through us. Our nation is so divided. There's viruses and sicknesses. There's wars and threats of wars. More than ever, we need to be the church that does what's right even when things aren't going right. That we love people even when we're afraid to talk to one another because of what might pass between us. <laughs> That we're still going to love in the face of trials and we're still going to love people and care about people even when they're different than us, even when they think different than us, even when they look different than us. We're going to love and do what's right even when it's not going right. And knowing the truth that God is using the good and the bad to point people to him. You've probably heard, if you've been around movement a little bit, you've heard me talk about it and it's a very famous story. So regardless, you may have heard about some missionaries many years ago, five guys went into the jungles of Ecuador and they had a plane and they circled and they tried to make a relationship with the natives there that were very, very remote and very primitive in their culture. And they thought that they were going to be received well. They get down there and they give them some gifts and everything looks great, but then all of a sudden the villagers turned on them and they killed them all in cold blood. And so they left behind five widows and they left behind children that were just a few miles back at their base camp. And I guarantee you a lot of people probably thought, one, we should leave and never come back to this place. And there were probably some people who thought, we need to go and attack and get revenge and get blood for blood. 
Even in a group of Christian people, I guarantee you that thought crossed their mind because they're human. And they probably thought many other things. But those women, those widows decided we're not leaving and we're going to take our families and we're going to go and we're going to share the gospel with these people. Elizabeth Elliot and those other women went and shared the gospel with these people and won almost the entire village of the people that committed murder against their husbands, won them to Christ. And a few months ago I told a story because one of the main murderers that killed those original five missionaries was a man they called Minkaye. And Minkaye just passed away a few months ago. And I shared the story, and I'll share it real briefly again, that not only did Nate Saint, who was one of the men killed, his son was also named Nate, and he was just a small child at the time, he grew up around this man who killed his father, and it, he loved him so much, and their families loved him so much that they let him come into their house, and his children called that man Grandfather. Grandfather Minkaye. And when he died, they mourned just like their father, who had been, grandfather who had been murdered, had died. And the only thing that makes that possible is doing right when things aren't going right. Loving people in spite of what this world throws at you. Loving like Jesus even when it doesn't make sense. Those kind of endings to stories only come when we seek to do what's right when things aren't going right. And so I want you today and over these next few weeks to say, God, do a work in me. Because I need to do what's right when things aren't going right. And my family and my friends and my neighbors in this world need to see me doing what's right, even when things aren't going right. Because the only hope for anything to come together, for anything to come together, is the blood of Jesus. And that blood of Jesus can only be shared through our lives that have been covered by the blood of Jesus. And so if we sit here today and think, man, that this world is too much of, uh, at odds and that political parties can't come together and people that have different ideologies and people that have come from different backgrounds and have different races and, and, and have different theories about science and medicine and all this, sort of, it, that there's no way we can come together. How dare we be so arrogant? A family welcomed in the, <laughs> the murderer of their father and grandfather into their home and began to call him grandfather. The blood of Jesus can fix anything, family. The blood of Jesus can fix this broken world. But it's only going to be done with the blood of Jesus flowing through our lives, changing us from the inside out through the Holy Spirit to allow people to see the gospel lived out in us so they want to know what it is. So today... If you don't have the blood of Jesus in your life, I pray that you talk to us. We'd love to share with you what the gospel says. That if you believe that he's the one and he's the way, then you turn away from your life of sin. You confess him as Lord. You meet him in baptism. He'll wash you and make you clean. Then he calls you to share that blood of Jesus, that love of Jesus everywhere you go. But maybe today also, if you've already done that, there's a chance that you're sitting here and you feel like there's no hope and you don't know if I can do what's right even when things aren't going right. You can and you will with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. So the first thing you need to do is you just need to come and we'll pray with you and we'll talk with you and we'll walk with you side by side to make the difference that only God can make in you and through you. But let's not leave here without the determination to do what's right even when things aren't going right. Let's stand, let's sing.